I think everybody needs to see Jesus Christ get f***ed in the ass at least once in their life. Radio Drome. Welcome to a lost Thursday night. This is Radio Drome. Actually, it's not lost. You'll see what we're talking about. I am Josh Hadley. This is Radio Drome. With me, as always, is Peter. Sometimes shows up. Gajic. Yeah, sometimes I show up, and uh, usually I'm pretty lost. That is true. And Cecil won't be joining us tonight. He'll be back next week, most likely. In the meantime, what you guys need to do is go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free power O-ring, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, the reason I brought up Lost is tonight we're going to talk about Lost Media. We're going to talk about some Lost films and TV works, and I want to throw out a disclaimer right away. There's two different definitions of Lost we're going to be dealing with tonight. There is Lost in that we know this exists, it hasn't been seen by people, but all known copies are Lost. They're literally like the original London After Midnight from the silent era. There are no known prints in existence, no known copies. There's that kind of lost, and then there is, we know this exists, but it's never been released, like a day the clown cried. We know people have seen it, it exists, but we, the public, are most likely never ever going to see it. So those are two different kinds of losts. If you had to to think of, like, something lost in either one of those categories where would you go like what what kind of film do you think of when you think of a lost film a day the clown cried or a london after midnight first thing for me to come to mind would be like i guess the roger corman fantastic four that was lost for as many years as it was but obviously now it's a little easier to to track down a copy you can just get it pirated but i think for the longest time that was one of those movies where you, you heard about that it would come out and it was in production. It was a full, fully shot movie and then was just shelled for so long. And I guess there's also, wasn't there like a, there was like a James Cameron Spider-Man movie that was also in the works. Within this unsuspecting city, history's greatest experiment creates tomorrow's greatest superhero, Spider-Man, the movie. A live action spectacular directed by Joe Zito, based on the characters created by Stan Lee. Only a script for it. I don't think anything was ever shot. It was just, it was, it had the ball rolling to get started, but they never, they never ended up making it. And it was going to be like the 80s, uh, Spider-Man movie probably to go along. That was, that was 1986. And yeah, James Cameron, he, yeah. they never, they never got to a script on that. It's what uh, Cameron called a scriptment. Cause normally a treatment would only be about a page or two when you write a script treatment. His mm-hmm. was like 15 pages. He went into so much detail. It was not a script, but it was le- more than a treatment. But yeah. that was, that was never made. I, I don't want to talk about stuff that never got made or anything like that. I want to talk about stuff that's been shot and does exist or at least did exist. For instance, there's that 2003 Cheech and Chong movie we've never seen called (laughs) Best Buds. 
Tommy Chong directed this movie, and he also starred in it, and it was his reunion with Cheech Marin. He turned in his director's cut. The producer said, there is no way I'm releasing this piece of crap. So the producer <laughs> re recut the movie. And Chong said, there is no way I'm releasing this piece of crap. They battled each other in court till about 2005. Neither one of them would could come to an agreement. And the movie's just technically two movies. There's a producer's cut and the director's cut sitting on a shelf somewhere that's never been seen. Never, never so there, there's literally one. a lost Cheech and Chong movie out there somewhere. You have, like you brought up Fantastic Four. Sometimes these things are never meant to be seen, but they leak out anyway. Did you ever see, I mean, this, this one's not quite the same because the movie was technically never finished even. You've seen the Grizzly 2 work print, right? Yes, yes I have. I would put that in the same category as Fantastic Four. Was mm -hmm. never meant to be seen. And like I said, in this one, it's technically not even a completed film because no. they were missing almost all the bear footage. I particularly like the scene where Charlie Sheen gets killed by a guy clearly holding a bear arm on a stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, definitely an unfinished film. Uh, and the work print's kind of, it's interesting to watch just to see such a young George Clooney and such a young Charlie Sheen and the uh all the weird footage of like John Reese Davies talking to himself and stuff like that and some of it's like in black and white it's a movie that in theory because I love the first grizzly and grizzly 2 looked like it had some some potential doesn't it get like electrocuted in a in a like a concert or a stage or something at the end of the movie like that one looked like it had potential to be a really fun se uh sequel and it's this weird anomaly that sort of exists floating through pirate space that you can get off of you know whatever pirated uh, torrent sites and whatnot, it's fun to sit and watch it and imagine what what it could have been, and that's that's one of those interesting cases. Uh, not quite like Fantastic Four still feels like a kind of a coherent film. I like the Roger Corman Fantastic. Me too. Four. I, I think really that's like the it. best of all the Fantastic Fours. It's definitely the most uh, most faithful for sure. Uh, all the characters and costume design and story, and I find it really enjoyable. I think it's a uh, for what it was for a Roger Corman superhero movie. It's it's a lot of fun, and I would like to see it eventually get a proper release. I think it deserves to get one. Whereas in Grizzly's two Grizzly two's case, yeah, it it is just kind of this mishmash of weird uh, unfinished footage uh, of of a movie that probably could have been pretty fun. Dalworth exploitation directors Joe D'Amato and Jess Franco both have multiple unreleased films that only exist on bootlegs. I have like maybe third or fourth generation VHS copies of Joe D'Amato's Frankenstein 2000 and Return from Death, both from the mm. early 90s. That's the only way that those films exist. Who mm. knows if maybe the master prints are gone, maybe with, you know, maybe with, you know, these guys no longer really being with us anymore, that there's just no interest, or there could be legal problems. I don't know why somebody wouldn't go, you know what? I have an unreleased Joe D'Amato film on, on 35 millimeter. Why would you not want to release that? Exactly. There has to be some legal issue, huh? Either just not not being able to find an avenue of, of distribution, or maybe there's certain things that are copyrighted in it that they can't get rights to. There's a lot of movies that are like that. I mean, I don't I don't think we're ever going to see a proper cleaned up DVD print of, of something like say maybe Space Mutiny or Robo War. Just because RoboWar is this, it's a total blatant Predator ripoff, and I think we're only ever going to get the weird, like, VHS bootleg DVD slash uh, Laserdisc 
that will always look like it was a shot with a potato because I don't think they're ever going to, I don't even, I don't even know if the 35 millimeter print of it even exists anymore. Obviously Bruno Mattai is dead, so we can't, we can't go to him. So there, there are movies like that that will always exist in these weird limited releasings of, uh, of VHS tapes that have just been copied over generations that will, and will unfortunately just continue to get muddier and muddier. Well, but then you also have stuff like you've seen the movie apt pupil the Ian McCollin film, right? Uh, I don't think so, no. The, the Stephen King film where the uh, sadistic boy befriends the neo-Nazi or the old Nazi war criminal that lives in his neighborhood? No, I haven't seen that. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty awesome, though. It actually wasn't. I, I loved the short story, but the movie disappointed me. Maybe the 1987 version that was never completed might not have. It hmm. starred Ricky Schroeder. They got about three quarters through shooting the movie. They started editing while they were still shooting the last quarter, and the money ran out. And oh. they never went back to it. Hmm. So Apt Pupil 1987 is a thing that technically exists, but we're never going to see. Along hmm. that note, I'm a huge Max Headroom fan. Max Headroom was canceled unceremoniously by ABC in 1988. They were halfway through, according to them, a little more than halfway through shooting the final episode, Theora's Tale, when they got the plug pulled. One of the hmm. creators said that there's enough footage possibly edit together a final episode out of it, but there's no interest in it. So mm -hmm. to me, the Max Headroom series finale is technically a lost episode. That's weird that they wouldn't try to release that because I know that Max Headroom has heaps of uh, cult following and cult status. So it seems they like something... They don't even know where it is anymore. I oh, mean, wow. All the footage might be go That's the reason Exorcist 3 just came out on Blu-ray in, in the director's cut. There's huh. a reason it looks like ass. <laughs> Literally, Morgan Creek has no idea where all the deleted scenes are. Yeah. All the deleted scenes that are put back into the movie are from VHS and three-quarter inch sources. Because oh, they never saved the film. It's unfortunate when something like that happens. Is it, That's uh, what happened with uh, Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. Or, you know, Touch hmm. of Evil is a fantastic film. Orson Welles did not have final cut on that. And he died before anyone tried to care enough to make a director's cut. So the director's cut, or what they called the final cut of Touch of Evil, is based off of all the footage they could find and then going off Orson Welles' original notes for what he wanted it edited like. This was all done years after his death. So nobody has really seen Orson Welles' version of Touch of Evil. That's uh, it's an interesting predicament. But then you also have stuff like Big Bug Man. Big, Big Bug, Bug Man? Big Bug Man was an animated line animation feature from the early 2000s featuring the voices of Brendan Fraser and Marlon Brando as a woman in his final role. Oh this my thing God. cost reportedly over $20 million. It's complete. It's screened for test audiences and has never been seen since. Uh, I, I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> the big, big bug man starring Brendan Fraser and Marlon Brando. That's as uh, a woman. That's different. That was... and, and supposedly, supposedly the story goes, Marlon Brando, when they went to record his dialogue, to get into character, he wore a wig and a dress. <laughs> That's the story, I, man. I would, I would honestly rather see the, like, behind the scenes footage of this movie than to actually watch the, the real movie, cause it's, I think just watching the recording booth of the, the two actors, especially Brando, would, would make for a much better movie. 
Did you ever watch Sons of Anarchy? I watched some of it. Ron Perlman's character in the original pilot was played by Scott Glenn. Only really? stills. Yeah, only stills exist. They shot the pilot, and then when they showed it to FX executives, they, they, they discovered Scott Glenn was not working. So they reshot all of his scenes with Ron Perlman, and that Scott Glenn cut has never been seen outside of a couple of clips here and there. Uh. I'd be curious to see, I mean, I love Ron Perlman. I'd be curious to see what different take Scott Glenn had on that role. Yeah, exactly. I love Scott Glenn. Uh, he's one of my favorite sort of, uh, I guess you could call him, uh, a that guy actor, like you just sort of, you see him and you, you recognize him. And I, I love his intensity and his style of acting, but it's, it's definitely would have been a, a much different portrayal than, you know, because Ron Perlman, anytime you see him, especially in something recently, he's sort of the, the hard man, the, the, the big sort of goon. And he's very good at, good at playing that. Whereas Scott Glenn is sort of more of like kind of a slick, cold kind of demeanor to him. So it would have been interesting to see him as a biker. I, I can almost imagine him being like, uh, like Lance Henriksen's character from Stone Cold. I, I would love, I would love to see Scott Glenn playing chains. <laughs> yes. That's what I picture. I picture him playing like, like a chains kind of character. Cause he's got, he's got that same sort of demeanor that Lance Henriksen has. Like he's not a big bruiser, but he's very slick and sort of streetwise and street tough. Like he's good at playing those kinds of characters. Speaking of cable pilots, I, you and I are not fans of Game of Thrones, but there are three different actors in the original pilot that sold it to HBO. Only HBO executives have ever seen the Game of Thrones unaired pilot. I mm. guarantee you Game of Thrones Game of Thrones fans would love if they would throw that thing on a DVD at some point. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, fan, I mean, I'm not a fan of the show by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that's just, it's something, it's a treat for any fan to see the, the kind of original path that the show is going to take or actors that were going to be in it but weren't. And just to see the stills and the, the footage, I think is, is something that's, uh, it's a lot of fun to see as a fan. Well, see, you brought up Lance Henriksen. Do you remember the short lived UPN show from 2000 called Freedom? Not by my knowledge, no. Might have been, uh, too long, too long ago. It's, it's a very pre-9-11 show. War broke out in the Middle East. Domestic terrorism got out of control. The president tirelessly toured the country, urging patience and calm. Then Air Force One went down, and the president is presumed dead. Martial law was declared, and the United States of America was turned overnight into a police state. Curfews were enforced. Identity papers were required for all. Penalties for unlawful behavior were harsh and certain. And it worked, too, for a time. The riot stopped. Everyone had food, water, and power. Stability and peace returned to the country. But it was peace without freedom. And that was a price some of us would not pay. President was originally played by Lance Henriksen in the unaired pilot. Oh, interesting. Well, no one's anything... ever seen that version. As, uh, there's no footage of it really floating around. It's just kind of one of those things where it's there's knowledge of it or stills, but there's no actual video to, to back it up, I yeah. guess. You're, you're an Ed Wood fan. Kind of, yeah. Ever, have you ever heard of the movie Take It Out in Trade? No. It was... It was, this was 1970. This was long after Edward's heyday, if you can ever say he had a real heyday. And he was, re he was resorting to making softcore porn. He yeah. was writing softcore porn novels and he was making softcore porn films. One of his most famous was 1970's Take It Out in Trade. For the longest time, this was a lost film. People remember seeing it. There were reviews of it. 
and then no prints could be found. Supposedly, there's a couple of places that claim, I have not been able to verify, that they found original 16mm prints of Take It Out and Trade. That That's essentially a lost film. His movies were, were pretty weird up until his, uh, his death, for sure. He's making those weird, like, orgy, monster, softcore porn movies. Orgy um, of the Dead. Yeah. What the fuck? So it probably wasn't that much different from one of those. I mean, I, I, I prefer his, uh, his uh, sort of weirder, you know, 50s and 60s stuff like, uh, like Glenn or Glenda or Plan 9 or, uh, what's the, what's the monster? Bride of the Monster. Bride of the Monster. That one's fun. Um, I prefer those where he sort of made the sort of hokey, uh, B movies. I'm, I'm not big on his weird softcore monster orgy porn movies. So maybe that one that hasn't come out, the, the 70s one, maybe it's a, it's a good thing. It probably isn't, isn't all that, all that interesting. What would it take for you to watch a lost hardcore gay porn film from 1974? There is a lost film called Him. It's about a man, and this is a hardcore gay porn that's been confirmed <laughs> to exist. It's about a man okay. who becomes infatuated with Jesus Christ and ends up butt-fucking Jesus. It wouldn't take anything. Maybe give me a six-pack of beer or some shit. I'll, I'll get a little tipsy while I watch it because I might make it a bit fun. But I think uh, <laughs> a hardcore gay porno about butt-fucking Jesus Christ sounds like a lot of fun. And here's the thing. They found some playbills from it. There are reviews in Screw and Hustler and Penthouse. People mm. saw this movie on 42nd Street in 1974, and huh. then nothing. There are no known prints of the movie Him. Oh, man. I guess it might be considered too, like, sacrilegious or, or some shit like that. I'm sure there's some reason why they uh they, they probably had it play for a limited time, and then we tried to get a distribution for it, but uh especially in the... The 70s, I think, um, religion had a lot more power. Maybe not so much now. I think they'd be probably able to release it, but it's like who even knows about it? I personally would like to see it out of, uh, just out of curiosity. curiosity. That just sounds ridiculous. It's, it's something that, uh, you need to see at least once. I think, I think everybody needs to see Jesus Christ get fed in the ass at least once in their life. This is one I know you would like to see if, if a print ever shows up. It's considered lost. There are no known prints. The 1967 Filipino film Batman Fights Dracula. Oh, God. Yeah, I've heard of this one. But that one sounds really fun. That one sounds uh sort of in the same level as, like, the those weird, like, El Santo uh wrestling movies, like, where it's the, the wrestlers fighting, like, the mummy and Frankenstein and stuff like that. So it sounds like it's to that level of ridiculousness, which I love. Are you a Kevin Smith fan? To a degree. I don't like all of his stuff, but uh, I don't hate all of it either. Did you ever see the live-action Clerks TV pilot that ABC made? Yes. It's so that was, bad. That, is that was considered lost. That was considered lost for the longest time. Good. On, on purpose, Kevin Smith tried to, his hardest to bury it. According to him, I don't want anyone to ever see this piece of shit. <laughs> so he tried so hard to bury this thing, and then last year, inexplicably... A copy mm. just pops up on YouTube in pretty good condition, actually. Yeah, I remember you. It, it's you, it's bad though. I don't think I even watched the whole thing. I was I was disgusted by how unfunny and unclerks it was. And of course, you can't make a live action clerks. TV. What was that in the, the mid mid nineties? When was it that he tried late, to do it? Late nineties. It was like ninety nine, I think. Yeah, you, you can't do that. You know, TV was still very very child-friendly, more family-oriented, and you can't do that with Clerks. I mean, the cartoon was spot on. I loved the Clerks cartoon and feel like it should have had a longer run, and I, I like Clerks the movie, and Clerks the live-action show had none of that. 
I mean, you can't have like a soft PG Kevin Smith clerks show. If it's not going to be R rated and filled with sort of raunchy comedy, like what's the point? It was, it was horrible. It was hard to sit through. Now, what about when a lost film starts coming out in increments? For instance, mm. I know you're a big Charles Band fan. Back mm. in the Empire days, he, he made a film called Pulse Pounders, which was a four, four story anthology movie where hmm. one of the stories was a, a Necromedon story. One was, one was a Trancer's story. One was, uh, a Jeffrey Combs story. And I don't remember what the fourth one was off the top of my head. It might have been a Puppet Master story. And they were hmm. all like 25, 30 minutes, you know, essentially shorts. Nice. Pulse Pound, Pulse Pounders never came out. But then, about two years ago, Charles Band started releasing each segment of Pulse Pounders on Full Moon, on FullMoonEntertainment.com. Nice. So, Pulse, Pulse Pounders kinda came out, just <laughs> at different times. Does that make sense? At different times and eventually. That's, uh, yeah. that's cool. And he, like, if he has all of the completed footage, why not just put them together as an anthology DVD and put it out? I mean, I'm sure people would buy it. I'm not sure. Look at Charles Band again, The Primevals. Mm. The Primevals was supposed to be this huge, he was working with, you know, stop motion animator David Allen before his death. Mm. They started this in the late 70s. It was going to be this huge stop motion, aliens versus yetis versus live action footage of humans. And you saw clips of it in the Cinemaker DVD, and then there were some mm. clips online. Cinema Fantastique did a full cover story on it. It was on Starlog, and he never, and never quite got around to finishing it. And every couple of years, he'd have a couple extra grand, and he'd, you know, have David Allen shoot two, three more minutes of the stop motion and whatnot. Mm. And then when David Allen died, he just kind of like, it just doesn't feel right to finish Primevals anymore. And I'm like, dude, yeah. you've been making this movie for 40 years. Finish it. Makes sense, though, that he, he wanted to work on it with who he started it with. Otherwise, I feel like in in his position i would feel like it wouldn't have the same magic so i i get why i i think the stop motion looks amazing for late 70s yeah that's something i would have really really loved to see because it sounds like an awesome project i guess maybe maybe just too ambitious for its time like with how long it took they clearly didn't have uh quite the technology that was needed to to complete something and it's a shame that the animator had to pass and i can i can see why charles band didn't want to didn't want to complete it. Didn't want to get somebody else. And to him, I think it may have been like sullying the the memory of the guy. So I I can see where he's coming from, but I'd, I'd still love to see it. Well, like Albert Pune tried to make a web series slash movie in the late '90s, all green screen, so all backgrounds are CG, and I'm talking like Phantasmagoria level CG. Okay. Oh God. So all the backgrounds are are CG, and it had live-action actors, people he'd worked with many, many times, mm -hmm. and it was called Sorcerers. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially a Three Musketeers tale told with wizards and demons and stuff. Huh. He, he, it, it was supposed to be four- to five-minute webisodes. And again, this is like in the QuickTime era of, you know, web. Yeah. Four, four or five-minute webisodes that could then be edited into a two-hour-long movie. Huh. He, only shot the he only shot the first three of those, money ran out, and he moved on. Ah, well, shit. And I've seen the three that are out there, and oh, wow. Not great. It, it's kind of a neat time capsule of that whole QuickTime video era. Yeah, that was a very strange time. I hated videos at that time. Have you ever seen National Lampoon's Movie Madness, or as it was more widely released, National Lampoon Goes to the Movies? Uh, no. When did that one come out? 
1982. It was actually made in 1980. It was supposed to be the follow-up to National Lampoon's Animal House, but it was such a disaster. It was four short films all parodying things that were going on in America at the time, like the self-help movement and whatnot. Ah. There's an entire segment missing called The Bomb. It was a parody of the, the whole Red Scare that was coming up in the in the early 80s yeah. about, you know, Reagan gearing up with the, the whole Cold War and everything. That was cut completely from the film, and the film was oh. released with only the first three segments. No one's ever seen The Bomb, although you got to think, National Lampoon's Movie Madness is one of the least funny comedies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> How bad did the bomb have to be if they said, that's not even good enough for this shit? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I can see why they uh, why they might have not allowed that to happen. I, I, I'm, I'm going to quote here about how this movie turned out so bad from Josh Josh Karp's book, A Futile and Stupid Gesture, How Doug Kenny and National Lampoon Changed the Face of Comedy Forever. Quote, The project turned out to be a cocaine-fueled fiasco. Nobody had a sense of structure or any idea how to write a screenplay. Unquote. <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie, that adequately sums it up. I don't think I have. It uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't really ring a bell. That maybe maybe is a good thing, or maybe I need to check it out out of pure curiosity. It's it's not good, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. But then you have other things, like, were you ever a big Laugh-In fan? What's that? Laugh-In? Laugh-In, the 60s comedy show that lasted for multiple seasons and, like, was very subversive? No, I've never even heard of that. Okay, then. Well, Laugh-In had a spinoff called Turn On. Half an episode aired on the East Coast before it was considered too offensive. The episode mm. was pulled mid-broadcast and the West <laughs> Coast never got the pilot. All that exists are clips out there. Oh. Well, I mean, yeah. the clips were not funny, but I'd be curious to see this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I've never, you know, w w I've never heard of the show, but I mean, if it's verse of stuff in the sixties is always interesting to see because it's that time going against the grain, uh, really meant something. Well, and then sometimes in the era of live TV, nobody thought to record this shit. Yeah. Like, are, are you a big fan of the Quatermiss movies? I don't think I know what that is. Who's in it? Quatermiss? Well, multiple, multiple people, multiple people play Bernard Quatermiss in the different films. Oh. In America, they weren't released so much as a series. There was Enemy from Space, The Quatermiss Experiment, five, five Million Years to Earth, Quatermiss in the Pit, stuff like that. They were released under alternate titles. Mm. Well, originally, the Quatermiss movies, which are quite good, was a live BBC broadcast in England, huh. 1953. They 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 literally put a a film camera up to a television and recorded the broadcast of the first two episodes. This was proving to be too expensive. They didn't think anybody would care. So even though it was a six-episode miniseries, they only recorded the first two, and the other four just went out live, and that's it. They're gone. Waiter Miss 1953, incomplete serial. It's, it's like with the old Doctor Who episodes. I'm not a Doctor Who fan, but the first couple of seasons are missing because the BBC's like, you know what? Videotape's really expensive. We need to start reusing these videotapes. No one's ever going to want to watch these again. So they erased all the tapes and, and recorded over them. That's why the first few episodes of the, the Johnny Carson Tonight Show don't exist. They reused, oh, wow. they reused the, the tapes. There was oh. no point in keeping it back then, right? I guess they didn't know. They didn't know that it would eventually come in handy or that people would, would want to see them. They figure, oh, it'll, it'll air once, whatever, who cares? You know, reruns weren't a thing yet, I guess. Well, I mean, it's even like something as stupid as like bumpers on a channel. You know, I mean, I know you didn't get mm. the American Sci-Fi Channel. You guys had space. But when the American yeah. Sci-Fi Channel launched in 1992, they had all these really cool bumpers and the coming ups that were custom made and all this. 
They never kept any of those. When they went to go do their 20th anniversary special a few years ago, they were like, hey, bootleggers, do you happen to have any of these on tape still? And they were literally getting copies from people who recorded these off TV 20 years earlier because they didn't think they needed to keep this shit. I'm guessing you were able to provide them with something? Quiet. <laughs> I mean, hell, I'm credited. In, there's a Morton Downey Jr. documentary called Evocateur about the, the mm. you know, the godfather of trash television in the late 80s. I had a whole bunch of old promos and episodes that no one else had copies of. People who made this documentary, including one of his children, had me send them my bootlegs, and I'm in <laughs> the credits. It, it says, archive footage provided by CBS News, CNN, Josh Hadley. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's pretty awesome. Well, I guess if for people who who keep this sort of footage and you know, don't throw it away like a lot of the stations do, it's uh having having that use of outside source can be very helpful and it it should teach them the lesson of not throwing away their fucking footage if they need it later. Exactly. Let's talk animation for a minute here, Peter. Did you like the Blues okay. Brothers? I didn't mind the first movie. Well, in 1997, would you have wanted to see a cartoon of it? Not really. They just thought it would be a good idea. Yeah, they think a lot of things are good ideas. They made six episodes with, obviously, John Belushi's dad, so Jim Belushi stepped into his role. Dan Aykroyd didn't Ugh. want to... Dan Aykroyd didn't want to come back, so Peter Aykroyd, his brother, came in as Elwood. And they made Ugh. six episodes, and UPN went, what the hell were we thinking? And they never aired. Oh, one promo aired and that's it. So there, there are six episodes oh, of the Blues man. Brothers TV series sitting in a Paramount vault somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, I would even want to watch those out of curiosity. I'd just like to say that the wrong, the wrong Belushi kicked the bucket. Along those lines, you're a huge mm -hmm. Aliens fan. Now, oh, absolutely. Do you remember in 1992 when the Aliens action figure line came out? Yes, I had, uh, I had tons of them. Aliens! Yo, Hicks! Something big is in the air! It's the alien flying queen! And her gruesome gorillas! Send in the ultimate space marine, Atax, disguised in his big, bad bug suit! He sneaks in and takes him out! But the flying queen unmasks him! Send in Hicks and the heavily armored evac fighter! Send in the marines! Blast them! Yeah! And bottle them! And it's bye-bye bug, each sold separately! Aliens! Do you remember how bizarre that was that there's aliens action figures and these like bull aliens and yeah do you know why were they gonna do like a cartoon or, or something that's what I always assumed I assumed yep. that they were based on the because uh, I don't know if you remember playing the Super Nintendo Aliens versus Predator game actually that game was a couple of years later oh. I don't know what it would be. What what was it then? What were they going to base that on? Operation Aliens. Fox Kids were making an animated series oh. out of it. These were to promote that. That now, makes they so much they only, sense. They only made a pilot, which nobody has ever seen. They made a hmm. pilot episode, a 23-minute pilot, and I've heard two conflicting stories about why Fox did not pick this up. One is some Fox executive actually watched it and went, this is, like, super violent. What the hell? <laughs> the other story is this is right around the same time that Fox was moving forward with bringing Power Rangers over here. So mm. they decided to back Power Rangers instead of Aliens. They couldn't do both for Fox Saturday mornings. 
so they went with uh, Power Rangers instead. So I don't know which one of those stories is true, or it could be a combination. Operation Aliens, nobody's seen it. Website, the Korean animation website, used to have little 10-second clips on their webs uh, on their website, which is long gone. This is still the you know this is by the time these were up there, this is the quick time era. This is the late 90s that these were up on their website. So mm. the the videos are long gone. You can still see little snippets of of the animation in the old commercials for the toys. They released a board game and a couple of stickers. For Operation Aliens in the huh. UK, and then they had just the aliens action figures in America. And I'm saying, is- why has Fox not released this in some aliens box set or something? I this, don't th- know, because I, this is I, I my- loved those action figures and I missed them. I miss having all those like weird aliens and there were like different predator toys you could buy too, which is why I assumed it was based on the video game because you, you, you would fight all these like different variations. Like there would be like a bull alien and like a green one and a red one and all this stuff. And that's why I always assumed, uh, that toy line was from. I never knew that there was like a cartoon. Makes me wonder if maybe there was, there was going to possibly be a predator one in the works too. Cause I don't know if you remember, but there was a, a predator toy line that was much like the alien one. You had I all have these. a couple of those. Yeah. There was like different variations of predators and stuff. And it's like, where were these in any? of the movies or where was the god fuck, it would have been awesome to have an aliens cartoon and a predator cartoon back to back in a little aliens versus predator animated series like that would have just been the shit but are you sure it really would have been i mean look at robocop the series highlander the series conan the uh, series toxic avenger the true. series rambo the series chuck norris the series I would have watched it as a kid. It would have been something I probably would look at it now and laugh, but an aliens or a predator cartoon when I was a kid. Oh my God. I'd be watching that nonstop. I, I liked the, the Robocop series when, when I was younger. I loved the Highlander series. I still like the Highlander series. I think for what it was, it, it managed to do a really good job of, of a storyline that's based around people getting their heads chopped off. Oh, I'm talking about the animated series. Oh dear God! Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I'm like, don't you dare defend that. <laughs> that turd. one was horrible. That was a terrible show. Yeah, I'm talking about making cartoons out of R-rated properties. That was ah. such a late '80s, early '90s thing, wasn't it? It really was. But some of them were really fun, though. Like, I don't know. There, there's a weird charm of, about the RoboCop show and the fact that they made a Toxic Avenger show because those toy lines just sell themselves. But an Aliens one, even just seeing the pilot for that, because I think I've seen the artwork for it. I think you you might have posted it on Facebook at some point. It actually did look really cool. It looked like something that would have been worth at least checking out the pilot for going along those lines there is what might be the holy grail of quote-unquote lost films do you know what santo gold's blood circus is is that a wrestling one kind of like el santo or no no, i i don't i don't think i do uh please indulge me okay i'm gonna have to take you back in time here in the early 80s it was a Baltimore infomercial salesman and huckster named Santo Victor Rigatuso. He was known as Robert Bob Harris. He was the first guy to come up with that whole, like you've seen the commercials for like, cash for gold, cash for gold. Send us your gold, we'll send you cash. You've seen those, yeah. right? Yeah, he those was the guy bags, that, yeah. He was the guy that basically came up with that, and it was called Santo Gold. In 1985, he spent $2 million of his own money to make to make a wrestling movie about aliens fighting wrestlers from America and the Soviet Union to avert the Cold War and in alien invaders. And it was a horror film with people getting their heads torn off, people getting disemboweled. One of the wrestlers was a vampire. I mean, in all Dracula garb. <laughs> this is real. I'm not making a single word of this up, Peter. 
Okay. So and, and this was never released. I take it he he funded it and it was probably shot, but it was never never shown to the public. I'm guessing. Actually, it was in Baltimore. It ran for four nights. People have reviews of it. Local Baltimore papers had their film reviewer review it. This exists. People saw it. And then for whatever reason, because <laughs> Santos started getting investigated by the SEC, so he had some legal problems, it just went underground. And he had infomercials oh. you can find on YouTube and whatnot. That you can see clips from the movie in the infomercials. They're amazing. What finally happened is... In 2008, Santo resurfaced. Because Santo Gold is still a thing. You know, you can mm. still go to santogold.com and, you know, give him cash for gold and all this. So that's still a thing. Yeah. He said he found the original 35mm print. If you're interested in it, for only $34 million, you can oh. buy the master print. You don't have the rights for it, so you can't put it on DVD or anything. But if you personally want to see it, he'll sell it to you for $35 million or $34 million. Then in 2011, he said, okay, I'm willing to sell the rights to this. Bidding starts at $750 million. Son of a bitch. I'm not joking. Somebody needs to break into this man's house, steal the copy, and distribute it. F*** him. He's, he's holding, like, cinematic gold in his house. He's, he's keeping it to himself. That, that needs to be, that project needs to be shared with the world. It just then, sounds what you described sounds like it could be the greatest movie ever made. The plot, according to Wikipedia, aliens from the planet Zoran are sent to Earth to fight against professional wrestlers from the United States and the Soviet Union who prove to actually be man eaters who devour their opponents upon defeating them. <laughs> this is it sounds like the the ultimate like Zinema Z grade masterpiece. Christ, why? Why can't I be watching this right now? I'm, I'm actually really I'm pissed off. I'm pissed Because you don't have $34 million. Fuck, I'm going to have to go rob a bank, or two or three. So or Santo, just break into the guy's house and kill him and steal the print and distribute well, it to the world and be a hero. But, Peter, this brings up the, the question. Is he really so egotistical that he thinks someone would pay either $34 million just to see it or $750 million to distribute it? Or is this just, like I said, the movie does exist, but is this whole wanting millions and millions for it, is this some long con? Or is this guy just nuts? He's just a greedy, selfish piece of shit. As much money as he, as he can off of it. And he knows that there's got to be some sort of niche market for it, but... What he doesn't get is if, if he just distributes distributes it on DVD or, or something like that, or lets uh, Netflix pick it up, whatever, he'll make money off of it. He won't make uh, an automatic what it, whatever it was, whatever amount of million dollars he wanted for it uh, all at once. But he, I'm sure he would get royalties on the the distribution of it. You know, selling it to to a company, like maybe, maybe letting Troma distribute it for him or something. He would make money off of it, so he could still make something off of it. But no, he's a it's a con man jerk off. What about when lost things get found? Like I said, like with Pulse Pounders, how, you know, these eventually kind of came out there. Like, you're familiar with the the silent film Metropolis, right? Yeah. Metropolis, when it was originally made in Germany, was almost two and a half hours long. No American distributor was going to have a two and a half hour silent film. Not, not in, in the silent era, never going to happen. So mm -hmm. they chopped over 40 minutes out of this thing. Huh. And back then, you didn't save the, the footage. There has been an effort to find all of the missing scenes from Metropolis for years, and they've been finding them in... They found an entire missing reel in the basement of a TV station in bombed-out South Africa in a building that was destroyed in the 80s. They found some scenes from Metropolis on 16mm. Huh. 
They've been slowly piecing together all of the missing scenes from Metropolis, and they're still missing about 10 minutes of footage that, according to the script, was shot. Hmm. But so you've seen some of those come out. Other things, like, were you a big fan of the real Ghostbusters cartoon? Yeah, I thought that was a cool show. See, the way you used to pitch cartoons back then is you wouldn't make a pilot. You'd make a demo reel. Quick little 8 to 10 Mm. minute reel that maybe was not the final models of the characters. Maybe the sound effects are wrong. The voices are wrong. Just to show the network what you would do. Well, for years, we'd been hearing rumors about this lost Ghostbusters demo reel. It's actually on the DVD set as an extra. Awesome. Never seen the the unaired pilot for Real Ghostbusters, and I would like to because that was a was a show I used to watch uh, reruns of as a kid, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And then, uh, like Defenders of the Earth, was the same thing. The Flash Gordon Mandrake Phantom show that had mm. also a ten minute demo reel that we'd heard about for years and read about in magazines. It's on the DVDs, so I love yeah. when I love when that kind of stuff gets found. Or like uh, you have like with the Clerks pilot, there were three pilots made for All in the Family. Back in 1970. One was called Injustice for All. They weren't the bunkers then. They were called the Justices. So he was Archie Justice and Justice for All. Only two of these have ever been seen. Obviously the one that went to series. And then TV Land in the 90s ran one of them. And the original Mm. Injustice for All pilot is only seen at the Museum of Radio and Television in New York City. You can only watch it there. There are no, no distribution copies of this. But you can see it. So I would call that technically being found. You're a mystery science theater fan. You know that yeah. the first that the first three episodes are notoriously missing, right? The first three KTMA episodes. Not anymore. The first two have been found, and they're streaming online. Joel put them yeah, up for I'm backers guessing, of the uh, new different... one. Was it still and, Joel, or did they have somebody else as a host for those first three? It, it, it was Joel. Joel started with the KTMA stuff. It was Joel. Mm. But episode three, Star Force 2, or Fugitive Alien Star Force 2, is still missing. There are still, huh. even even Joel said he doesn't have a copy of this one. So episode three is still somewhere out oh, in the damn. ether. Unless somebody recorded it <laughs> off of Minneapolis television in 1988, that episode may not exist any longer. Oh, man. That's unfortunate. I'd love to see that. I, I love uh, all of their all their stuff, and it'd be really cool to see like the super early workings of it. Joel is very open about how not good they are in the early. I don't ones even that... care. Like, I just love those guys. I'd love to watch it anyway, even if it's shit, It'd just be fun to see it, just because just growing up, uh, I, I watched them a lot on Space. Just I, I love that show, and I would love to see the the early sort of idea of of what the show would eventually turn into. So that would just be just as a fan, that'd be really cool to see. This isn't as big of a problem nowadays, but back in the 80s and 90s, when a TV show was canceled and still had unaired episodes, those tended to never be found. Nowadays, they usually put them on their website, or Hulu will pick them up or something like that. I remember loving when I would find, wait a minute, this is the unaired series finale or something like that. Like, SWAT, the series finale never aired. I've Mm. got a copy off of an old 16-millimeter print. I finally, just two years ago, found the four unaired episodes of Beverly Hills Bunts, the uh, the Hill Street Blues spinoff. It was canceled with four unaired episodes. I finally found those off of uh, early 90s British broadcasts. I love finding unaired episodes of TV shows. Cut of Exterminator 2 that we have is sort of a a reshot canon film, because I think they, they got rid of the whole other half of the film there are lots of scenes that show up in the trailer that never showed up in the movie and like there's a whole fight of uh van peoples and ginty where they were fighting hand to hand and 
45 minutes missing of that film. Like it's a, it, it's meant to be a whole other structure to it that apparently Canon wasn't happy about. And that's a light I ever see, but I really would, would like to, like, I'd love to discover that at some point. Cause you can only see those clips in uh, making of videos on YouTube or in the original trailer for the movie. And I know that you, I figure this would be an interesting one to end off on. So I know you're not a fan of uh, back to the future. So you probably weren't going to bring it up. So I will is the fact that Marty McFly, instead of being played by Michael J. Fox was originally supposed to be played by, uh, I believe, Eric, Eric Schultz. Was Eric, it, it, Eric Stoltz, and I've I've seen Eric the footage. I've seen the footage, and yeah, even though I don't like the film, he was totally wrong. Most of the movie with Stoltz. Um, there's lots and lots of no. He he was he was uh, let go after like uh, two weeks, I think. So they didn't shoot that much with him before they let him go. Quite a bit. Like he was in the original diminishing photo. He's in the first uh, scene that uh, Marty has with the young version of his dad and stuff like that. So I, I'd like to see how how differently it, it plays out. Like there's. Just interesting little things like that that you find out after because that that was only revealed I think just a few years ago and I've always found it really interesting because you have these very familiar shots that normally had uh, Michael J. Fox in it and then the other actors that still were were in the film but then the, this you know unrecognizable face as as Marty and I think that's always kind of kind of weird to see that that whole uh, it's a lot like the the Scott Glenn playing the the character in Sons of Sons of Anarchy that would be eventually overtaken by ron perlman it's just this weird weird thing to see it's almost like from an alternate reality or something well you want to talk about that have you ever seen kurt russell's audition for han solo yes yes i have that is so weird because I, I okay i know this is like five years before snake plissken all i can see is snake plissken i mean he's really playing snake yeah. without the clint eastwood voice Pretty much. It would have been either like a, a weird, I could see it being like a mishmash of Snake and, and Jack Burton. It'd be this kind of, he'd be, he'd have the sort of the gruffness of, of Snake, but kind of the, I guess the, the smugness of, of Jack, because obviously, you know, it's sort of what Han Solo is like. It would have been so different though. Like it would have been a, I don't know, like I, I try to picture it in my mind of, of how Kurt Russell would have played out as a, as Han. And I, I love Harrison Ford's portrayal and I completely different and i and i wonder if if we would have had this weird alternate reality where kurt russell never really became like a like a b-movie success and maybe we never would have gotten escape from new york uh with him in it or or even any of those movies because he he might not have ever met uh john carpenter this is this like weird earth version too where where we don't have uh escape from new york or the thing or you know, Big Trouble in Little China because Kurt Russell was cast as uh, as Han Solo. Well, we might have still had Escape from New York, but remember, the studio wanted Charles Bronson. Now, yeah. I love Charles Bronson, but he's totally wrong. He would have been Snake so Lifkin. wrong, so wrong for that role. And yeah, that that would also be an alternate reality where Harrison Ford never becomes an actor. He just stays as a as a carpenter, probably retires at sixty or something, and uh, retires with a lot of wrist and back pain, and never. Uh, Never dazzled the world with his uh, acting performances. So that would be a very weird reality to live in where we, we don't have a, a Harrison Ford as a solo. And uh, we have a Kurt Russell as a Han Solo whose career would probably never really catapult into the sort of weird and interesting direction that it went into with the uh, the John Carpenter movies and stuff. Because I, I can't imagine those films, those John Carpenter movies without Kurt Russell being in them. And I can't really imagine Star Wars without Harrison Ford. It would just be a because I think really weird, weird world to live in. I think Harrison Ford only did American Graffiti before that. I might be wrong. Yeah. it was. He, I know he only did like one, one or two things. Um, and 
even in that, I think it was like how how big was his role in American Graffiti? I, I only remember him being in a couple of minutes. Yeah, it was probably a pretty minor one. So yeah, if if he hadn't have done Star Wars, like he likely his because I think his career was really the only one that catapulted as a as a result. Like Mark Hamill, I think really found his his calling with voice acting, but that didn't really skyrocket until the the nineties with the the Batman series and stuff. And so Carrie Fisher found her calling with cocaine. So I think without uh, it would be a very very odd and strange world where where Harrison Ford doesn't become this this megastar and and Charles Bronson is Snake Plissken. Well, but then sometimes like when you find these lost things, you go, yeah, I understand why it was lost. <laughs> have you ever seen the five and a half hour long work print of Apocalypse Now? No, I have not. Um, I think that movie is just fine. Uh, the way it is, the way the director's cut is out. I think that that, that thing is already like three hours long. I don't, I don't think I could sit through any movie that's like five hours. It's, that's, that's too long. I have a copy of the five and a half hour long work print. And oh, it's one of the most self-indulgent things I've ever seen. And it's one of the few times where I say the studio was right, Coppola. They were right to cut <laughs> two freaking hours out of this thing. Yeah, I think three hours is uh, is more than enough. Sometimes even that is too much. So sometimes when you do finally see all this footage, I've got a bunch of work prints from eighties and nine from eighties and nineties movies, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of these where I watch them and I'm like, yeah, that really doesn't add anything to the film. These were all deleted scenes for oh, a reason. God. Yeah, so, like there's weird, um, like the original cut of First Blood is weird. There's that scene where he has like the Vietnamese hooker and just scenes that. You can see, like this is it's a good thing that they they omitted this from the film. Kind of the, the, the whole condiment pace scene? of the character, the, the whole condiment yeah. scene that's only in the TV prints, where where they're charging him for mustard and ketchup and all that as just yeah. another get out of town kind of thing. Yeah, because, it's just because it, it just bludgeons you over the head with it. Well, because I think that film actually works better with it just being Teasel that's being yeah. a jackass and not the town itself. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's. Teasel is kind of uh, brought in as he's not necessarily the villain. He's just a jackass caught, but he's what sort of drives Rambo into into what happens. And it's the same thing with the one thing that I like about the the Rambo movies, and the, I think having the the hooker scene would have kind of diminished the I wouldn't say mystique of the character, but I guess the solidarity of the character. I don't see Rambo as like the the James Bond getting laid all the time kind of character. I see him more of as as like an introvert. You want him detached because that's what makes sense. And these were the same with the condiments. It's like we don't need the town to be the asshole. We want Teasel to be the asshole. We because if, if if it's the town treating him like shit, then, then I don't know. That's that's projecting more to society than you know police brutality. And I think police brutality is what really makes that movie work. Is 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 these these cops that are brutalizing this guy who's been through all this shit. So it's there are scenes that are rightfully left out, and I'm glad that they are. Well, and then you also just have to look at it as, like, the scene with the hooker. I wouldn't have been able to accept Kwai Chang Kane if he went to a prostitute, you know? On that note, I'm going to invite the listeners. What's your holy grail of lost media? Was it one we didn't discuss tonight? So there's a whole lot of silent films that are missing, a whole lot of early, late 60s, early 70s, kind of European horror films that don't exist anymore that are no known prints. We didn't cover everything. What ones, what is your favorite Holy Grail that we did not cover here? 
Contact us at 1201beyond at gmail.com. My website is 1201beyond.com. And if they wanted to find Peter, they would go to... They could go to Twitter at Cinematica. They could go to Facebook, the Cinemasochist, YouTube, the Cinemasochist, also 1201beyond.com, and the grindhousechannel.com. Hopefully this episode won't be lost. Hell, there's a lost Radiodrome episode out there. When Brad Jones and I started this way back in 2009... My recorder goofed up and didn't record the first pilot that we made. So hmm. there's a lost Radiodrome that nobody has, including me. It's just <laughs> gone. So this kind of thing happens. So, guys, yeah. just remember, just because it's here now, it doesn't mean it always will be. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Was she hungry? No, they had free delivery.
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.